Welcome to Premier Pain Talk, a podcast dedicated to expanding awareness about treatment options for people in pain. Each week, host Dr. Michael Danko from Premier Pain Treatment Institute in Cincinnati, Ohio, will discuss cutting-edge treatments for pain management that are improving the quality of life for those suffering from chronic pain. Tune in now to learn more about how to relieve pain and restore your life. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Premier Pain Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Danko. Uh, with me today is a very special guest that, that, uh, that I admire, and I'm really excited for this conversation. He's Dr. Alan Burton uh, with Abbott. He is their chief medical officer. Uh, and uh, we're going to have an exciting discussion today about uh, digital health and, and some of the advances that, that are coming along in, in therapies called spinal cord stimulation and, and dorsal root ganglion stimulation. Uh, and uh, Dr. Burton, uh, he started his career uh, similar to me, where he is an anesthesiologist. He also specialized in pain medicine. Uh, he was uh, in academics at MD Anderson previously, and then he was at the Houston Pain Centers before uh, joining Abbott as their chief medical officer. Uh, and at this point, I'm going to kick it off to Dr. Burton to tell us a little bit more about his background and uh, uh, some of the um, kind of what some of the experience was in academics and, and uh, in private practice in, in the pain management uh, sector prior to jumping to Abbott. So welcome, Dr. Burton. Hey, thanks, Mike. It's really nice to be here with you today. Um, it's always a pleasure to, to, to talk to you. And uh, I've enjoyed our recent meetings and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the podcast. I, I, I am uh, similar. My background in yours really overlaps. I'm an anesthesiologist by training. And then I did an extra year of training in uh, pain management to get certified in interventional pain management. And then the bulk of my career was spent doing a very little anesthesia and, and mostly taking care of chronic pain patients. I practiced uh, 20 years, as you said, in uh, uh, both academic and private practice setting. And along those that time, uh, one thing that, uh, that I always was involved in, and I know that, that similarly, again, you're, in, you're involved in, is clinical research. And I always, uh, you know, I had the opportunity when I was at a large academic center like MD Anderson to participate in clinical trials. And then I carried that forward when I was in my last private practice setting. Uh, as, as a part of, of our practice, we uh, worked with companies to do FDA uh, clinical studies. And uh, that was really an enriching and rewarding part of, of what we did uh, from, from our practice standpoint. I thought it was, it was always, um, it enhanced uh, what we did in the clinic in a sense that we were really paying close attention to what was going on in the research community. And we also got connected through other colleagues that were participating in research across the country and stayed somewhat, I felt like somewhat abreast and really up to date on what was going on in the clinical world of, of pain medicine. Uh, this, along that journey that brought me closer to Abbott's neuromodulation business where I was actually a participant in the clinical trials on DRG stimulation and on burst DR spinal cord stimulation, which led to FDA approval for those two products. So I was fortunate to be um, an, one of the clinical investigative sites on both of those uh, studies, and we were actively enrolling patients in that, led me closer and closer to getting to know some of the research folks within Abbott um, and, and some of the clinical folks within Abbott's neuromodulation business. And then ultimately, that led to them reaching out to me and seeing if I would consider um, taking a role in, in their neuromodulation business as a medical director and eventually as a chief medical officer. And, and it's, been a, it's been a really uh, quite a fascinating journey. I felt like my, uh, my clinical career was tremendously rewarding. I mean, I think this area of uh, pain medicine is, is such, a, such a new area, and, and we really have just, I think, scratched the surface on helping patients who previously didn't have many good options for, for treating these chronic pain conditions, you know, predominantly back pain, but other uh, severe chronic debilitating uh, pain conditions. And uh, moving forward, we've just uh, begun to get so many tools in the toolbox to really take these patients from having very little or limited quality of life to really enhancing their ability to, to moderate their pain enough to where they can really get their life back and in many ways functionally, get back to their family activities, get back many, many cases to working and, and more of a full life. And so that, that journey had been really rewarding clinically. And then to get inside of a company and participate uh, as I do at, in my role as a CMO on all the research studies and, and really deeply immersed in this technology, 
I feel like my ability to help people has expanded. And I've gone from really seeing one patient at a time or one clinic day to being able to interface with doctors across the U.S., like such as yourself and, and really doctors around the world who are kind of in this common, uh, you know, all in this common specialty and working toward the same goal of improving these patients' lives. And it's, it's just, it's been a really rewarding, I guess now it's about seven and a half years that I've been uh, in industry after 20 years in clinical practice. It's been an exciting journey. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, and I feel like we could spend the whole podcast just talking about that journey. But uh, you know, while, while I would love that very, very much, we have a lot of people out there who I think need to hear more and more about uh, spinal cord stimulation, dorsal ganglion stimulation, and, and how, the, how we're expanding access to a lot of these therapies with some of the digital health platforms. And uh, you know, this, this podcast, the, the main reason I'm doing this is try to expand therapy awareness. Uh, and as, as you know, mm -hmm. Spinal cord stimulation and DRG are both therapies that are, are excellent, but they, but they, I think the number one opponent to them is is awareness and just not uh, people not being aware that they exist and that they, that they are a good candidate for it. Uh, so uh, before we start talking about um, the the digital health platform, I want to just take a few minutes and 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 just uh, at a high level talk about what is spinal cord stimulation and then uh, what is dorsal ganglion stimulation. So starting with 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 uh, spinal cord stimulation. Could you tell our, our listeners just a um, you know just a brief overview of what that is and it and, uh, and how it treats pain? Absolutely. So uh, so spinal cord stimulation refers to the ability to uh, for you as a patient's physician to play very carefully direct electrical therapy that's a very specific type into the patient's nervous system, specifically into their spinal cord. Which, which is the final common phone line where pain signals go in the patient up to their brain. And the idea with this is that patients suffering from chronic pain uh, of a variety of different types, um, because that the nervous pathways for this travel through the spinal cord up to the brain, we've come up with over the past number of decades and really refined it, let's say in the past decade, the ability for the doctor, yourself, the specialist, to place very carefully a couple of small wires in near the spinal cord in what's called the epidural space for a patient and guide in some energy into that space. Now, our specific version of this energy is called burst DR stimulation, and that's our specific electrical encoding. I've heard this described as, as in, in layman's terms as noise-canceling headsets to the chronic pain or the ability to um, confuse the pain signals as they go through the spinal cord up to the brain. Uh, but the, the bottom line is that when this, this signal is activated, this burst ER signal through these wires, the chronic pain signals that are traveling up to the brain are scrambled. And the, what the patient feels is a sense of relief, a sense as though that pain has diminished or in some cases largely gone away. And with older spinal cord stimulation systems, the patient felt a distracting signal that was different than the pain. They felt a buzzing or a tingling sensation that was less bothersome than the painful signals they were facing. With the newer therapies like our, for example, our burst DR st stimulation, the signal itself, the electrical signal is in a non-sensory range, which means the patient doesn't feel it. It's interrupting the pain signal, but what the patient feels is that the pain has diminished or in some sense has almost gone away and, and disappeared uh, because of this electrical interference that's happening in the spinal cord. And then th that's kind of the, the really how the physiology works or how the electrical signaling works. How it practically works is kind of similar to a pacemaker technology where the doctor um, trials the patient, puts a couple of wires in, in a trial procedure, outpatient surgery, very light or very minimal sedation. And the patient gets to test drive this therapy for somewhere between a few days to as much as maybe 10 days and get a sense of, is this helpful for their chronic pain situation? It's a very unique attribute of this therapy that the patient gets to sort of try it in a, in a way, again, as a layman's term, almost a test drive of the therapy, very unique in medical therapies. And they're, uh, they're closing when they come back after the end of that trial to sit in the, and visit with you or with your uh, advanced practitioner in the clinic um, and describe their amount of pain relief um, it's, that's a very critical conversation. It's critical to get the information. Did they get relief? Did they have any side effects? Um, what did it meet their expectations? Uh, what did they, uh, what do they think overall? Are they, are they, did they have enough uh, relief of their chronic pain to go forward with the implanted device, which should 
largely be almost exactly what they got in the trial experience. So the patient has the ability to, again, working with their specialist to have a trial of this therapy and then make a decision. Do I want to go forward with the implantable device, which again, is somewhat similar to a pacemaker, a little bit more involved than the trial procedure in terms of invasiveness, but still typically much less involved than open spinal surgery or spinal fusion surgery, for example, which is a much longer recovery pathway than implanting one of these uh, spinal cord stimulator devices. So that's, that's really the, the spinal cord stimulator in a, in a nutshell, kind of in brief, at a high level. The dorsal root ganglion stimulator is much newer. This is a technology that's been around really less than a decade. The FDA approval is about seven years ago. And the dorsal root ganglion is a small nervous structure when, you, when we talk again about that spinal cord that is in the back, that where all the pain signals go up to the brain, all of the sensory nerves in the body plug into that spinal cord. So the nerve from your knee, the nerve from your foot, the nerve from your buttock plugs into the spinal cord. They come in like a wiring harness. And at each of those intersections where those nerves plug into the spinal cord, there's a little group of nerves called the dorsal root ganglion. That, nerves, that, that little clump of nerves called the dorsal root ganglion or DRG serves a very important filtering function in the body on a normal basis. It helps to filter out pain signals that are happening. Sometimes it amplifies pain signals when a patient has an ongoing uh, chronic pain situation, let's say in their knee or in their ankle. And and it turns out that that nervous structure, that DRG structure, um, is in a predictable location depending on where the patient's pain is. And it's been discovered over the past decade and then turned into the DRG uh, stimulation therapy that is that is Abbott's DRG stimulation therapy. We've we've really refined it to where if we know the patient's pain is, for example, in their knee or in their ankle in a focal area related to nerve damage in that region, the dorsal root ganglion is part of amplifying that pain signal. If you, as their specialty treating physician and their and their pain specialist, um, places a DRG stimulation. Um, electrode near that dorsal root ganglion, the appropriate one for where their pain is, and you apply a very small electrical signal, what happens is you normalize that DRG from amplifying the pain, the DRG turns back into a filter, and the pain essentially is filtered down to a nominal level for the patient. In some cases, uh, the sensation almost returns to normal in in an area previously that's been burning or tingling or feeling um, really a noxious uh, pain sig- stimulus coming from an area of the body, sometimes for years or even decades until you apply that DRG stimulus. And again, the same um, procedure that I described for SCS applies for DRG, but the patient has a trial experience where they're able to experience this therapy for a short period of time, let's say approximately a week. Then they come back in and have their closure visit with the specialist, with you, like yourself, with Dr. Danko or his uh, advanced practitioner, to discuss how was the trial? Did it meet their needs? Did they experience pain relief? Any side effects? Um, Were they able to increase their activity level? Did they have other goals? Did they wanna try to sleep better or um, walk a little further or cut down on any of their pain medications? Again, at their doctor's discretion. And then that trial closure period would be, this is, you know, uh, it goes through assessing the pain, Um, the activity level, um, other effects that they may have noted, positive or negative with the therapy, and discussing the the pros and cons of going forward with the implanted device with their specialist, and then planning that. When can you um, have, when do you have time on the surgeon's schedule, being yourself, the the doctor's schedule, as well as the patient's schedule to have, let's say, a couple, two, three weeks of recovery time built in, and then planning the patient's implant uh, following that trial period. So those are that's really a high level overview of uh, both of the therapies, and uh, was that was that about the right depth, Mike? Or are there any further um, questions that you have, or things that you want to point out about these two therapies? Yeah, I mean, I think like you mentioned, the you know, the, the trial phase is is truly a chance to to test the therapy and and to see how well it worked for you before we decide to move with the permanent implant. And there are very few uh, things and we have in, available to us in medicine where you can actually try it before you buy it, so to speak. Uh, also, I, I always like to to, to um, laugh a little bit about one, the most common question that I get when I start mentioning spinal cord stimulation or or, or DRG to a, to a patient in the clinic. So commonly, I get, uh, "Is that kind of like a tens unit, or is that a tens unit?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, uh, I guess it's kind of like uh, talking to you know a guy who drives a motorcycle and, and trying to 
and saying that like uh um you know the the motorcycle he drives is is that kind of like my the bicycle that my my son dri- rides around in the, in the in the driveway here so you know they both have two wheels so both can take you from point a to point b um but but try telling the harley guy that that he's uh you know just on a on a on a on a regular bicycle he's on he's on a harley uh and so you know with stimul with these stimulation therapies these are far different than, than something like a tens unit which is a really a field stimulation device that that is really external um th- these are refined uh targeted therapies uh, that that are gonna uh really substantially change your quality of life and, and if you're if you're a good candidate if they work well for you um and I think, yeah, I think, Mike, that that's a great point. I mean, you know, something else occurred to me when I was uh, when I when you were making that point, and over my couple decades, again, working working with patients, many patients who present in the clinic, and I'm sure you've seen this so many times, are scared, and and often they have had surgeries or maybe sometimes repeated surgeries on the same body part. Let's say they have a hip problem or a knee problem or a back problem. And they've been to three different surgeons and they've had three different operations and they still have terrible pain in that area. And they're, they're understandably nervous about having another procedure done. And medical procedures or surgeries have not been good to them. They've had a really tough experience uh, that has led them ultimately into Dr. Danko's clinic room or another pain specialist's uh, clinic. And one of the things that, uh, that I've noted over my career was that I would have to uh, um, get patients to understand that uh, the, and have a a pretty long talk about the risks and benefits of uh, spinal cord stimulation or dorsal root ganglion stimulation because of that fear that the patients have related to a procedure or a surgical procedure that previously has led them into this situation and having them understand that the, the whole point of this procedure is to relieve the pain those other procedures usually were for a structural fix for a broken bone or a, a narrowed an area in the spine or a crumbling disc or another pathology. And then similarly, and which we've already mentioned, but worth enhancing again, unlike those previous surgeries, they get to try this one. They get to have a trial period. And I had so many patients um, in, in hindsight where I would talk to them for many, many visits about a trial, and they would say, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I don't, you know, I don't fully trust. I've only just met you. I want to get to know you as a physician a little better. And then ultimately, when we did the trial, they, they were happy that they got so much relief, but sometimes they were angry. They're like, why did it take me so long to get to this stimulator? And I'd be like, well, I've been talking to you about it for a year. You know, wasn't that my fault? So, it's, so I think often that trial experience, you know, even patients would say, well, I'm not ready to get an implant because surgery has gone terribly for me. I've had lots of problems, ongoing chronic pain. Uh, but I almost always could talk the patient into a trial and then, you know, make your decision on whether or not you have the implant. And so many of those patients gone from, I'm really skeptical. I'll never have another surgery to how soon can you put it in? You know, when they come back from the end of the trial, they're like, could you put it in tomorrow or today? And it's like, no, you have to get on the schedule. So I, I think that's worth uh, noting that, again, just to reinforce and re-educate people that there's a trial with this, that if they and if they don't like the trial, there's no obligation to go forward with the implant. They're exactly the way they found they, they were when you met them. So I think I think that's worth Re-emphasizing with patients is just that unique attribute of these. Yeah, absolutely, and, and traditionally, uh, we've we've assessed the successfulness of these trials through a pain score or or a, a percentage of pain relief, uh, and that's been kind of our main metric. Uh, and it's okay did that help at least fifty percent, and then if it did, then we move forward. If it didn't, we we didn't move forward. And, and uh, over time, um, you know, we've started to realize that maybe that that just purely a, 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 re- a percentage of pain relief or a change in a pain score may not be adequate in, in, in helping determine success. Uh, and, and I wanted to use that that point to transition into talking about some of the digital health uh, options that we have now and and particularly kind of leading the way into into Abbott's uh, Neurosphere uh, MyPath app. Uh, and and I wanted to know if you give us a quick overview of of what that app is and and then how we, uh, I mean, kind of, you know, this may be a a multi-level question here, so so feel free to take kind of the first step, but if but if naturally you feel like you can kind of transition into what else we're measuring in the trial, then then, then feel free. Otherwise, I can kind of help remind you. Yeah, th- yeah, Mike, th- thanks for the, the question. I think it, it is a nice uh, transition because we described the therapies and we've, we've uh, both uh, talked about the patient having this trial experience and then deciding whether or not to move forward with the therapy. And what we've done at, at in Abbott's neuromodulation business 
is really look at, at this uh, critically. We, we, our devices operate on an Apple operating system. The patient uses a smartphone to operate their device or an Apple handheld consumer device if they don't have a smartphone. Android's coming, uh, but, but they're in the digital ecosystem to operate their device. As part of that, we launched a, a Neurosphere program uh, right about the time the pandemic came along to really move our devices in and in, in, in really enhance the, the digital health aspects of our device. Now, the first one of the first attributes that we that we looked at in this as a weakness was assessing the trial. And we heard, of, you know, and you and I have had a number of uh, in-depth in conversations about this. And I reflect back on my years of clinical practice, patients would come in and they would say, well, I got 51% pain relief. And we'd be like, mm, really? Like, did you get enough? And, and often we would really try to figure this out. And it's very hard to figure out. Patients have chronic pain for a number of years. They're getting one week of pain relief. Is it sufficient to go forward with the implant? It's, it's not a crystal clear situation always. Sometimes it is. They get 90 or 100% pain relief. Um, often we have the family come in with them if, if they're available or if the caregiver comes in and says, oh, yeah, mom is totally better or my spouse, they're a different person. They're so much better. And maybe the spouse enhances the whole story. So we try to get a more thorough story that includes, and, and this is part of your question, not only how much pain relief did you get, but are there other attributes beyond pain that are improving? Were you sleeping better? Were you able to walk further? Were you able to do things you couldn't do before you had the stimulator in place? Were you able to stand longer, um, collect the mail at the end of the driveway, walk the dog, um, go out and shop for groceries? Were you able to get out of the house where you couldn't before? So, so really um, understand the, the functional improvements, um, sleep, understand the pain relief, also quantitate things like goal setting. What, what is, you know, the goals of an 80 year old grandmother are gonna be different than a 30 year old bricklayer who wants to try to get back to work. And the 80 year old probably wants to play with her grandkids or maybe make it to church or other, you know, other different goals. So the patient's um, setting their own goals and, and then kind of seeing whether they attain those goals uh, or not. So often patients' uh, memory of pain is very hard. They have a five or six day trial. The first day they may be sore because you put the leads in their lower back kind of near the neighborhood where they have the chronic pain. So the first day or so they have soreness where their chronic pain is located. That day is kind of a wash. Now the therapy starts kicking in. They, they feel like, oh, it's starting to get better. And all of a sudden they're approaching the end of the week and they've got to kind of make this um, assessment of how much pain relief they got. So we, we found that often the assessments were confusing. Patients would report things like, I have 80% um, pain relief. And we'd ask them, well, what's your pain score? And they'd say, it's a seven. And we'd say, well, how can you have 80% pain relief and your pain is still a seven out of 10? And, and we would get incongruent stories that were sometimes hard to put together. One of the other, so, so I think it's important that the patient understands the benefits of the device during the trial. It's really important the doctor understands it. It's very important the family's bought in and understands the benefits. And then lastly, and maybe equally importantly, it's important that the, the payer, which is, let's say they have commercial insurance or let's say they have Medicare, it's important that that payer understands that they had enough benefit to go forward with the trial, which is, which is um, a bigger copay and a bigger fee than, that, than the, with the implant than it is with the trial period. So, so we have a number of stakeholders that all want to understand how the trial went. Um, we took that unmet need and we created a, a real, uh, a really nice app called MyPath. And MyPath is, it's like the, the simple description of it would be a digital diary, but that would be kind of under clubbing what it, what it truly represents. Um, what, it, what it represents is it's an app that patients download who are interested in spinal stimulation. And it, it has a number of educational modules in it to try to answer some basic questions that patients have. They can watch a number of videos that describe how the technique works. Where do the, where do the wires go? What does that look like? What are some of the risks and benefits in, a, in their own setting? They, they hear it from you, but they're nervous. They're in the doctor, they go home, they're like, I can't remember anything Dr. Danko said, but it, boy, is he nice. And they, they just like, did you take any notes? No, I forgot to, you know, and they can't remember anything. So this directs them to some educational materials that are very, um, very non-commercial. They're very, um, we think they're very accurate. They went through a whole process to make sure that they don't um, overstate the benefits and understate the risks. People should understand that there are risks of surgery and putting things in the human body and doing surgery. 
So, so it, it's an educational tool that, that we hope uh, gets the patients fully um, up to speed on understanding what they're going to go through when they go through a trial period. And then the, the path, the reason it's called my path is because then their pathway is into the trial period. And through the app, they click on a day zero, what to expect with their trial. It gives them some idea. You're going to have a bandage on your back, how to take care of that. What should your activities be the first day? And then really day by day, they get some instructions that guide them what to do. But important, really importantly, they fill out assessments at day zero, which how is your chronic pain feel? A number of different validated questionnaires. How does it impact your ability to sleep, to walk, to do your daily life activities? How, uh, what are the characteristics of the pain? Is it burning, tingling? How intense is the pain at, at best and at worst? A number of different questionnaires like that including um, around activity and quality of sleep and goal setting. Then on a daily basis, the patient gets a pop-up on their phone that basically asks them to answer a, a smaller number of questions, but you know, how was your sleep today, uh, last night? How was your pain today? How was your activity level today? It asks them about five questions on a daily basis. And then at the end of trial, it asks them all the wrap-up questions that were asked at baseline compared to end of trial. And then the, along the way, as the trial's going on, this information on this app is shared with, uh, with the doctor, the doctor's nurse and, or nurse practitioner, and the Abbott rep. And so that the patient has a team that is going through the trial with them that can look at how they're doing on a daily, on a daily uh, day-to-day experience level. And if the patient's doing well, like I would say like majority of patients in a trial do, um, then they're, they really just keep cruising along in their trial. But if the patient's not doing well, if they're day two, day three, they're only getting about 10% pain relief, they were hoping for 50% or more, then, then uh, the doctor, the nurse practitioner can reach out to the patient, um, the Abbott rep can reach out to the patient, and the device can be readjusted. Or the patient can be talked to, hey, do you know? And sometimes it, it's been as simple as gee, I, I pushed the buttons on the unit and I think I turned it off. I mean, we've had this experience where we find patients that go, I'm not getting much pain relief, go through a troubleshooting with them. Well, the first problem is you have the device off. So we turn the device back on and it's like, oh, not getting pain relief again. So it can be very simple during the trial period to make sure that they're getting therapy. Um, there's a couple of different nuances to how the device is programmed. Sometimes the programming needs slight adjusting during the trial. But we have that opportunity with a daily um, interaction on, a, on a, just a few minutes on an, on an app where everybody involved in the trial can see how the patient's doing on a day-to-day basis so that when they come in for their end-of-trial visit, um, there shouldn't be any surprises. You shouldn't have a patient show up who goes, I got no pain relief. This was a while, terrible. Um, for the most part, you know, when the patient comes in, looking at their MyPath, we kind of already know how they did. And the doctor gets a very efficient one-page um, wrap-up uh, that shows their baseline and then how they did during the trial, which can be very handy as part of your accompanying note that you write at the end of trial. And if need be, that note can be used to convince the insurance company that, hey, this patient got you know 90% relief, their sleep went up uh, six hours a night, um, their, their quality of life is 80% better, um, they can walk a block, they, they couldn't get out of the house before. And you have that in a, in a real um, organized format so that you can make a clear case to, let's say, Medicare that, hey, this patient should have one of these stimulators implanted and the trial went extremely well. And you, have, you, you, you really have more, uh, let's say, organized um, information about how the trial period went. And so that's, that's what we're working on uh, today. And then as we move forward, we have some research teams working on some more objective measures to plug in there, things like step counts and certain things with vital signs in the patient and things that will be more automated and also a, a way that we can begin to get past just asking patients um, questions about how they're doing. So this, um, and, and the MyPath app is in the first generation today, which is, uh, we think is a great uh, asset. Educate patients, get them through the trial period, get their implant done. And the next generate, the next version we're working on of this app will take the patient, um, will stay with them as long as they have a device implanted, which in most cases is years and, and maybe decades. Um, and, and it will allow them to have a monthly or a periodic assessment, maybe long-term as little as once every three months, just to check in to see how they're doing and make sure they're still doing well. Um, if they have any needs or problems, they can reach back out through the app to their doctor who they see on a periodic basis 
um, or to the rep if they have a, a technical challenge with the device. And so we're, we're super excited about uh, the MyPath app, and uh, we, we think it really, um, again, outlines the path that a patient takes from their chronic pain journey through trialing one of these devices, a spinal cord stimulator or dorsal ganglion stimulator, DRG, and then um, having the device long-term. We think it puts them in a, in a digital um, cloud and almost a digital hug where they're, they kind of have ongoing check-in points with their care team uh, as an automated part of their experience. Yeah, and so, as you mentioned, there is a snapshot that, that your, your doctor gets at the, at the, you know, during the course of the trial, and, and it's always an exciting uh, uh, thing to review. And, and I love that it has multiple metrics. So as we mentioned, we're, go- we're moving beyond just the pain score. So you're, you're the, the sleep, mood, standing, sitting, um, and, and there's not only is it just numbers, but there's also graphs where you can see it trending upwards. And, and I like, uh, especially after a successful trial, I, I like showing the patients that, you know, their, their, their snapshot and see, and they can see that, that, you know, all these metrics went up. And, and I, I think one of the other things that's, that's exciting with, with, with our stimulation therapies and, and seeing how, how patients are doing with, with burst DR and, and with DRG is that very commonly all of those metrics are going up. Uh, so they get a pain relief mm-hmm. reduction, but they're, they're, not only is their mood better, but their sleep's better. And not only is their, their activity yeah. level better, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a consistent improvement across multiple metrics. And I, I think that's exciting. Uh, to, to, you know, I guess I've never really used the app from, a, from the patient side of it. Uh, do, they, do they get to see their, their, their results in real time like that over the course of it? Or do they just uh, submit the surveys and then, uh, and then we see the, the results? Well, I've, so I had an interesting experience recently, and, and uh, my 83-year-old mother has uh, had a stimulator trial and has had an implant, and she used the MyPath app. So it was, it was really uh, interesting. Now, she's, she's a new iPhone user over the pandemic. She got an iPhone, and uh, she's, pretty, she's pretty adept at using it, I, but I would say she does not, she's not a real digital expert. I mean, she's, she's a, uh, a new, let's say, over the last year and a half of using iPhones. And she had no problem at all using the MyPath app, and she found it very intuitive. And she also um, can easily check um, how she's doing on a day. Like it, it allows her to fill out her daily scores, look at what those are, and then she toggles to a different place and is able to see her baseline. So it does, it does show the patient that um, if they look for it. And now it's the the it the first thing it does is just ask them on a daily basis. The I think it's five questions uh, once a day. It's about two or three minutes. And they answer those, and then it's it it will also say, okay, we're done. But you can toggle around in there and look at other things. You can look at the the daily video that says, oh, you're on day, you're in the middle of your trial. You know, keep going. You're you know, we hope you're doing well. If you're having any difficulty, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to your doctor or to members of your advocate care team. You can do that through the app by clicking in the upper left corner. Um, so there's a few things in there that that really help guide the patient. And then the patient can toggle around within there pretty easily and, and again, look at their baseline pain scores. And I, I love that you pointed that out. Um, another thing that uh, over my years of working with chronic pain patients, and it, 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 pain is a, a very interesting phenomenon because when patients do get pain relief, later on, they have a hard time remembering exactly how bad it was at the beginning. So sometimes we found this interesting as a check-in when they go, you know, I'm still having this little spot over here and, you know, that's really fine tuning before they were like their whole body was on fire, which has been extinguished. And now they have a little residual pain and they're focused on that little residual. And sometimes it's really helpful to point out, do you remember when you were a 10 out of 10 and look at this, you were housebound and you couldn't sleep more than an hour a night. And you and they look and go, oh, my gosh, you're right. I sleep seven hours a night. I'm walking a mile a day. My pain's at three. Like, it's amazing. Like, yes, I do have that little spot, but like. I'm doing pretty darn good. Like, like sometimes it's just reframing it. And it, it, it is really, I think, useful, not only for the physician, but also for the patient to have that information. It's kind of a reminder. Yeah, and I, I think that it's, uh, it's really exciting to track uh, our, our patients long-term in the second version, uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, one thing we may yeah. notice is that there may be some trends in the, in the wrong direction uh, where that may be a sign mm-hmm. that, that it's time to meet with the rep for reprogramming. Uh, also may be an indication mm-hmm. that, that they have a new issue that needs to be worked up, or, or maybe they have an old issue that that just needs a little uh, other treatment. Maybe maybe we've been doing 
radio frequency treatment for the arthritic pain in their back and and realize it's been 13 14 months since they had their radio frequency and and that isolated that kind of that small problem that you're talking about that has that kind of crept up maybe that's just a sign of a of a of, a, of some ongoing maintenance that, that we've let lapse a little bit. Um, I think you, you, you know, I, if I can take that point just a step further, Mike, I, I would, I would say, and, and the app is very careful to point this out, but, but it was interesting in my mom to look at the difference in this. Now she had some nerve damage pain uh, going, going around her chest and she, um, but, but in her, the first day of the trial, she had pain where the incisions were in the back. And she could not, uh, she had the leads put in through a small incision and she had trouble differentiating those two. And, and the app is very careful to ask you for the pain the stimulator is treating you for, you know, it, how much relief are you getting? And she was focused, well, I had this back, this pain where this incision was. And I was like, well, but, but that's going to go away in a, in a couple of days. It's not, you know, we're asking you about your chronic pain. And, and she had difficulty separating that. And I do think it's, is interesting over over time, and one thing I saw a number of times, patients with a terrible back, for example, who get a ton of relief with the stimulator and start walking, and now they're 60 years old, and now they're walking three miles a day, and they're moving along, and you see them a year or two later, and they're complaining about, they're like, well, this stimulator's not working. It's like, why not? Well, my knees are killing me, and it's like, well, that's different. <laughs> when you were, when you had the back pain and you were on the couch, you know, when couldn't walk more than, you know, beyond your kitchen or get out of your house, your knees were not stressed at all. And now you're walking enough to develop a knee problem. And so that's, that's actually kind of a good sign. And we can fix your, you know, you can have an, in an injection in your knee or physical therapy or whatever, but it's the, you know, the, the stimulator is not a, it's, it's for a targeted reason for the patient's chronic pain. It doesn't, cure your all your ills for the rest of your life you know it's 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 really a, a therapy that's focally targeted for patients with ongoing chronic pain uh, but it requires you know on, it, the patients do require ongoing care to navigate some of these issues yeah and like you know like most other technologies there is a, there is some ongoing you know maintenance you need to change the batteries in your remote sure. control on your tv you need to do i mean there's some things that uh, that that are just you know your therapy and and your and your yeah. medical management and don't just stop just because all of a sudden you have your your implant now. Mm -hmm. One thing That's I right. wanted to 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 try to clarify for for listeners is if if they've you know they're listening to this they're excited they they don't really maybe they're not in pain management yet or they don't have a pain management provider, um, but they want to get access to the app and they want to start uh, you know getting you know they said oh that all, that stuff that we talked about with. Uh, Dr. Burton and Dr. Danko were talking about was exciting. I want to go back and read more about it because I can't remember exactly what they were saying. Um, do when they to be able to utilize the application? Do they need to have a a pain physician or or a physician already under management uh, that they can help them access the app or are able to to go independently and and use it? Yeah, it's a great question, Mike. I, the patients can go on to Abbott.com and navigate down through into the chronic pain area on our website. And they can uh, get information about our devices and the patients actually can go through a process and, and the more, let's say the more technically savvy patient can self-download the MyPath app and can begin to get on this journey themselves. It will provide, there's a physician finder tool as part of that for their region um, that they can then go in and select a physician. And then through that process, um, if they would like to select a specialty physician, they can do that, and then uh, an, an Abbott representative can reach out who works with that physician to provide them more personalized education if need be. Uh, but yes, patients can um, self-access this. More typically, what patients uh, will do is talk to their primary care provider or even their surgeon about getting a referral to a pain specialist like Dr. Danko. And then through that journey, when they meet Dr. Danko, they would find uh, about more information. They would find the MyPath app and begin to get education at that point in their in their journey. But the longer term um, goals with this are to extend it beyond your walls, where the patients don't have to be sitting in your clinic to find the MyPath app. They can find it themselves again through the Abbott website, or we're uh, in the in the early stages of reaching out with some consumer directed education particularly still a little bit targeted things on the web where patients who are searching for things like, how can I relieve my back pain or how can I get out of this, you know, terrible chronic knee pain that I have uh, for the last five years after surgery, um, where those patients will find some educational materials and, and through a, a, a 
an opting in process, um, they'll be directed into the MyPath app to get further education and ultimately a physician finder and, and through that journey. So we're just, uh, we're just in the early stages of, uh, of embarking on what that looks like, but we're very excited about that because you started out this entire webcast podcast talking about um, lack of awareness of these therapies, which I truly agree with you is, is, is our number one uh, barrier to have to getting more patients pain relief. It's just that even in 2022, so many patients are, don't, are not aware that these therapies exist. And, and so transition to the, the last segment that I want to talk about, and that's virtual clinic. Uh, you know, we, and with virtual clinic, you know, that, that brings us to the more broad uh, uh, development that happened during the pandemic. And that's really a, a mass uh, transition to, to telehealth and to uh, trying to get access to your, to your physician, your medical providers without being able to see them personally in clinic. Uh, and in, and in my practice, that was that was quite a, a bit of a struggle because we we didn't we weren't already using telehealth and, and telemedicine, so we had to to kind of invent it on the fly while we're uh, trying to maintain access to the patients and, and appropriate monitoring. Uh, and so, uh, when it comes to to virtual clinic, we're we're, uh, we're talking about a patient who has a, who has had a successful trial and, and now has an implanted device and and expanding access for that patient as well. So, can you give our our listeners a some more detail and information about virtual clinic? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Thank, thanks for bringing up the question. So part of our Neurosphere suite, uh, digital health, again, being on having our devices um, operated from an app on the pa on patient's phone, um, having the MyPath app on the phone, and then really the uh, rounding out of the digital offerings is offering virtual clinic, which again is, is a way of interfacing with the patient's implanted device um, remotely through telehealth. And so this is really the first of its kind um, app in the U.S. where the FDA uh, approved with our um, cloud infrastructure, our backend server support, our cybersecurity attention to detail, and the, uh, the, the careful nature that our development team went on with this. The FDA felt like it was um, appropriate to, to approve this. And now we've uh, gone with a full launch for this for about a year in the US and we've begun in the last year to, uh, to actually roll this out throughout Europe and Australia as well um, to offer patients the ability to have their devices reprogrammed without being in the doctor's clinic. And, and so um, what, this, what this does is allow patients who need troubleshooting of their implanted device um, or a reprogramming of their implanted device with their doctor or with their doctor's um, nurse practitioner or uh, physician assistant to get on a FaceTime phone call, a real-time phone call, and uh, not only interact with the physician and have a, a, a remote visit, but during the remote visit to have their device interrogated, make sure the device is operating properly, and if needed, have some adjustments made to their implanted device. So what this, um, this was a, a really uh, substantial advancement uh, during the pandemic when, when uh, largely it was hard to access doctor's offices. Some of the clinics are, you know, required testing or even shut down for short periods of time with uh, spreading out, uh, doing social distancing um, across a variety of, of different, um, you know, uh, parts of the pandemic uh, where clinic volumes went down considerably. Beyond the pandemic, we feel that this is a major advance for chronic pain patients. Um, the reason being that chronic pain patients often have a real impaired ability to get in to see their doctors. Traveling is very difficult for them. Um, driving, um, walking long distances, um, they often need a caregiver to accompany them, which requires not only the patient, uh, patient's presence, but their caregiver, a son or daughter or spouse, to take off work, to obtain childcare, to, to bring their significant other, um, you know, across town or many miles. Sometimes yeah, I'm sure you have patients who come in from all over Southern Ohio or maybe even across state lines from Kentucky that drive in several hours to see you in clinic. It really allows them on a, on a selected basis, again, the physician's input that this patient is, you know, doesn't uh, really need to be in clinic for medical reasons, but I can take care of them uh, from a distance to take a look at what's going on, troubleshoot their device, and do that remotely. 
um, it, it can be a real win for the patients. Um, so we've, we've uh, again, had uh, tremendous areas of adoption of this. And initially we thought the primary adoption of this would be in rural locations. I just came, I was at a doctor's office in New Mexico where they said, this is amazing because all their patients with a very few exceptions come in from far away. Interestingly, we also have excited adopters for this in Manhattan, in New York City, because it's, although geographically it's not as far, it may take longer to get from New Jersey into Manhattan than it takes to drive all the way across, uh, you know, Southern Ohio or across New Mexico. But it, it, it really um, is, is an asset for a group of debilitated patients who now have another option. Um, again, a personal anecdote, which is, which is only uh, one patient, but my 83-year-old mother I think in the absence of virtual clinic, I don't, I'm not sure she would have gone through the procedure because she, um, she has a hard, she can't really drive herself into the city to see a doctor, a specialist that she would need to see in the Chicagoland area. The traffic is a little bit much for an 83 year old um, and getting rides for her is a little bit challenging. So she can do it, but it's, it, it would have been a significant barrier. Her physicians uh, participates in my path and she's had several reprogrammings from the comfort of her home and, and they've been uh, really complete visits. She's had interactive face-to-face um, -face visit with her doctor and her doctor's partner, as well as having participation in the Abbott rep to, to optimally program her device. So I think it, it does provide uh, really extended care for patients who have um, diseases like chronic pain that really limit their ability to get into the clinic. And it can, it can serve also a function of a relatively stable set of patients that don't have to be in your clinic in order to get their device adjusted. So you as their physician, with the help of, let's say you're a nurse practitioner, you can take care of those patients um, with remote visits while you can have people in your clinic. And let's say your, your clinic rooms are fairly full. You're, you're a very popular, busy physician um, opening up space for people that really need to be in your clinic to get, for example, an injection done or to get something physically done that they can't have done uh, by remote. So it, it can extend your capacity to some extent as well in your clinic, in addition to allowing selected patients not to have to make that journey in to see you, which can be burdensome for quite a few of them. We think at least half of them uh, it, it have great um, difficulty in getting to their doctor. Yeah, I think that's that's really amazing. Uh, you know, I think it. I, you don't, we almost can't emphasize enough what how much of an advancement um, virtual clinic is compared to 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 how it has been. So this traditionally is a, is a therapy that requires meeting the representative in you know face to face, being within a few feet of them to be able and having you know a way to Bluetooth connect to the device or or, or from a very sh close proximity. We're talking about taking this completely to to the point where they can be several hours away. They can be very far away, you know, doing this remotely. And while I think that maybe some of the patients that have become more comfortable and familiar with with telemedicine visits over the last couple of years with with the pandemic, um, th this is such an advancement that that I, that I that I think it's it's you almost can't uh, underscore it enough. And then, and then I start thinking about version two of my path, and and you. You talk about combining that and saying, okay, well, you're taking someone who traditionally has been difficult to get into your clinic and, and hard to get good feedback from, and you get, you know, real-time data over the course of how their implant's doing. We, we can see some changes potentially that, that might need adjusted, and then we can connect the remote them remotely to get their device reprogrammed. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's really next-level stuff. I, I, you know, I couldn't agree more, Mike. I, I love your enthusiasm about, about the, um, you know, the virtual clinic. Um, I had the pleasure several months ago to talk to a Swedish doctor who uses this, and he's in a place called Umia, Sweden, which I think you'll find this story interesting. And he was telling me and a small, a small, a small group of us that several of his patients, it takes them two days to make it to clinic in, in Sweden. And I had this impression of Sweden as a relatively small country. And, but he said these, these patients live out in rural Sweden, and he's in a bit of a rural um, tertiary center. There's a large catchment area. And some of his patients live in these little villages and they actually have to take like a sleigh in part of the way in their journey into like a train station to take another train to like a bus stop 
to then stay overnight to catch another train like to Umia. They have this, this several day journey. I'm it's like, like oh, on the North God. Pole. Yeah. Well, it, I was like, is this 2022? Like, really on a sleigh? <laughs> <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was kind of like uh, uh, the North Pole. I think that's, it's probably close. So, but I, but I do think um, this does have, uh, have tremendous uh, opportunity to help uh, patients, uh, you know, across the globe. And, you know, our, our, um, at Abbott, um, our CEO has several, um, we have several goals uh, set at a very high level. And one is like democratization of healthcare, decentralization, and digitalization of healthcare. And we believe that um, virtual clinic helps us, and our neurosurf platform helps us across all of these, really. So, so we're, we're very excited about that. And we see the ability to, to help uh, more patients through the use of this technology. Um, as well as through uh, podcasts like this to get the word out that this technology is, uh, has arrived. You know, the future in, in many ways is here. So we're, we can uh, lean into it, embrace it. And with uh, partnership with uh, physicians uh, like you, um, you know, lots of patients will, uh, will see their chronic illnesses um, in much better control. So it's an exciting time. Uh, well, uh, yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, we, you've been very gracious with your with your time uh, today. I, I think I promised you about thirty to forty five minutes, and and we're we're getting close to an hour on on recording here. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll kind of wrap it up, and, and within the extent that that you're able to or, or uh, capable of, are you, is the, are there any other kind of neurosphere related uh, uh, applications or, or or features that maybe they're using in Europe already or whatever that that uh, are or where do you maybe at a high level where you see some of this capability going beyond uh, um, the patient surveys? Yeah, I, I think we're we're you know if we look at this as a baseball game, and I, I think you're a Reds fan, you know if it's nine innings, I think we're in the first inning of digital healthcare, and and I believe that we have uh, we have plans and we have a tech team that is second to none working on this project, and so our. Um, our apps today, the way they operate our devices, the way we interact and get information from patients and interact with them remotely is going to continue to become more and more streamlined and seamless and easier to operate. Our cybersecurity is airtight. We're an F we actually consult with the FDA on matters of cybersecurity at a, at a company level. At an, we, they look to our expertise to help in some of those matters. Cybersecurity across the world is super tight and privacy issues in European countries. We've been able country by country around Europe to get approval. There's been no issues. So we view that as a validation that we're on the right track with having this um, implanted devices very safe and very secure uh, to interact with them remotely. And, and we're, uh, you know, we're on the way. We're starting out. Um, the future of this will almost certainly um, continue to improve the way that patients and their, special, their specialist physicians interact with each other. And we think their patients' outcomes will just continue to reflect that, will continue to improve. That's great. Well, uh, you know, I'm going to close it out here. Uh, Dr. Burton, it has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, I, uh, um, you know, every time I, I, we, we speak, uh, an hour of time goes by in, in what feels like five minutes. Uh, and uh, so uh, thanks again. I hope you have a great uh, rest of your day. And, and uh, you know, it's, we're, we're recording at a time where, where Father's Day is right, right around the corner. So, you know, happy Father's Day. Yes. Thank you. Happy Father's Day to you, Dr. Danko. That, that's, uh, that's, that's a great way to, to close up. And I'll just say hey, go, go Astros. Astros. Go Reds. <laughs> they, they, uh, they started in the very bottom of the basement, but they, they've actually been closer to 500. If you could just erase the beginning of the season, it'd be a, a little more interesting. But uh, have a great weekend. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening to Premier Pain Talk, where we understand your pain and share solutions that can improve your quality of life. This episode is brought to you by Premier Pain Treatment Institute, which has convenient Cincinnati area locations in Loveland, Mount Orb, and Hillsborough. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you get updates on all new episodes. Feedback is sincerely appreciated. 